1: On today's episode of Big Drive Energy, we're going to discuss Keegan Bradley's dominating win at the Travelers at TPC River Highlands. We're also going to talk about our round at TPC Colorado yesterday. Uh, Kicked our ass, but it was a great track. We're going to discuss all of that, including playing the 773-yard par 5. We're going to discuss the Updated info along the PGA and Live merger, kind of what it means, what the public investment firm is taking over, essentially, and what it means for each player and each tour, as well as discussing should there be no more white stakes? Would that help the pace of play for your everyday golfer? All right. This podcast, of course, is always brought to you by our great friends over at pins and aces. I'm rocking the hoodie now. It's the most comfortable hoodie I've ever worn. Uh, we wear nothing but pins and aces out on the golf course. They've got the best ball markers. They've got the liquor stick. They've got the beer sleeve. Um, We actually got shit on our TikTok for their ball marker being a weed leaf. Uh, Some old dude just chirping at us. It was hilarious. I was chirping back at him, having a good time with that. But they just dropped the whole South Park collection. Mitchell was wearing that on Monday at TPC Colorado. Great shirts. uh, Phenomenal head covers with Towley. Just all around great stuff. And they've got so many different collabs that you can check out. Something for everybody. The best golf brand in the world it is pins and aces use that promo code bde when you check out and it'll save you 15% off your entire order plus free shipping all right let's tee it up
0: hello friends welcome to this tradition unlike any (laughs) Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed.
1: Keegan Bradley, domination, TPC River Highlands. Question for you, was the course too easy? (laughs) Your (coughs) thoughts?
0: Well, for those guys playing 6,800 yards, um, no matter what, you could pretty much probably take their driver out of their bag and they're still going to shoot eight, ten under par with just how short that course is. You can't really make it wet enough or hard enough, but I will say, and this is kind of a shot at LA country club, but I would have rather have watched them play TPC river Highlands twice because it's just such a good track. Uh, the players love it. Everybody loves it. And it's just a great layout. Like, it is weekend or year in, year out, one of the favorite stops on tour. So I just thought it was very cool. <clears throat> they obviously talked about it on the broadcast, but Keegan Bradley is a Northeastern boy uh, from New England, quote unquote. He's from Vermont and then uh, went to college at St. John's University. And we've talked about him uh, at, at multiple points on this podcast because Uh, he has had a very low key, like very good career. Um, cause what do you win the 20, was it the 2013 PGA championship? Um, so kind of, uh, just a long career for him. I mean, he's made, I think at this point he's made eight and a half million this year and 40 million in his career. So I think.
1: Well, when we were talking about, you know, the, the golf, we did the golfer tears. Uh, I don't think he was mentioned by either of us and, you know, rightfully so I'll defend us at the time. He's, he's had a lot of events this year where he's been like, Oh, it's Keegan Bradley's playing well again. And then by Sunday he's out of it or not winning it. But here's a look at his, he has six PGA tour wins or, you know, professional wins centered around the PGA tour, essentially. Um, He's won the Byron Nelson in 2011 uh, in a playoff. He won the PGA championship in 2011 in a playoff. He won the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. He won the BMW championship in 2018 in a playoff. He won the Zozo championship in 2022. And then he won the Travelers, which is an elevated event. So... His win profile for having six PGA Tour wins is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, the, the Zozo is played in. <clears throat> excuse me, um, is it played in Thailand, or it's in? It's it's definitely either like Thailand or Japan. Um, it's it's an international. Yeah,
1: uh, it's the Greater Tokyo area of Japan.
0: Ooh, to- that'd be so cool to play golf. It's.
1: In co- it's co sanctioned by the Japan golf tour and the PGA tour.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That was always a very cool event. I remember uh, just the golf courses over there. Look, look unbelievable. Um, but anywho, yeah, he's uh, he, there was a period of time and I think you and I discussed this personally, but he's always been that dude because he used to anchor back in the day with the uh, belly putter. Remember that, um, what was it? The, it was like the saber tooth. Remember that Odyssey putter that was like the rounded teeth. That wasn't the the straight one. Um, it was the, like the rounded, I think they call it the saber tooth. Uh, but he always anchored back in the day he had a belly putter and that was probably when he had the most success in his career up until again recently. But now he's got the same Odyssey jailbird, uh, Longer putter that's not anchored, but it's the same putter that Wyndham and Ricky Fowler used. So I think Keegan kind of gets forgot about in that conversation. But I was looking at his strokes gain stats this morning, and he's inside the top 55 in every strokes gained uh, category on the PGA Tour. So that just means you're playing pretty damn good uh, from tee to green. And I think <clears throat> three out of the four, he was top 25. I think he was like 53rd in, uh, approach to the green. And also what I didn't realize was going through this PGA tour app is the amount of stats that they give you. Like they give you so many freaking stats. Cause I was, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know what's going on. Um, so Keegan, I saw that Keegan, uh, actually, hits it closer statistically speaking from 125 yards to 150 than he does from 50 to 125 which is very rare <laughs> like
1: wow so he's the the pitching wedge gap wedge maybe nine iron is dialed
0: mm-hmm. he, his wedge, wedge game wedge needs some work
1: yeah well hasn't he always been just like a really good striker of the ball but kind of you know a uh, striker of the ball irons wise. And I guess driver, he hits a driver pretty well, but on the greens, he's kind of been a disaster is an unfair uh, yeah, comparison, it, but it, it, it hasn't seems, been good.
0: Yeah. I would almost consider it like a diet uh, Rory McElroy, where you, you kind of know what you're getting T to green. Like there, he's a very good ball striker, but when he has a good week putting uh, that usually equates to a, a really solid finish because Well, so this year he's 23rd in strokes gained putting, which is awesome. 53rd in approach to the green, 38th off the tee, and 22nd uh, total strokes gained. So the dude is just very solid. Uh, He definitely does not have that superstar look. He's kind of that tall, lanky, uh, skinny type of guy. But he is one of those dudes that just wills himself to play good golf like He's got those intangibles that a lot of people you know don't necessarily not agree with but they don't think they exist and Keegan Bradley definitely has that has that kind of not killer mentality but he's he pushes himself pretty hard uh, and he expects a lot from himself and let's actually talk about his little um mini collapse because he had made. And I personally am just done tweeting about golfers playing well because I feel like I mushed them. Because um, I was rooting for Keegan. Like, I had no problem. I, I had Patrick Cantlay on my ticket, so I was kind of hoping he'd make a run. But uh, that goober fucking couldn't do anything. So I was, I was just rooting for Keegs. But he uh, Fucking Captain
1: make... Dewalt drills over yeah. there fucking dicking t- himself down on the back nine Sunday. Right making bogeys one thing i will say real quick is one of the funnest parts about tpc river highlands now i'm on the other side of you i would have rather it was a good course to watch but i just the more we get tournaments where winners are 8 to 10 under i the more i hate tournaments like this past weekend where keegan's 23 under got it to 26 at one point and only because Not that I hate seeing them make a ton of birdies, I love that. That's a blast, you know. Like I remember, so when Cam Smith won the uh, tournament of champions a couple years ago and shot like thirty-two under, uh, and John Rahm shot thirty-one. Like it's fun watching these players be really good and and you know uh, have a birdie fest out there. But the one part that I don't like about it, just from a a viewer standpoint, is the fact that like at at the end of day one, half the fields out of it. And at the end of day two, you know, obviously half half the field's out of it again because they're cut. But even the guys that made the cut, there's another, you know, there was like 10 guys on the weekend that had a legitimate chance and they would have had to fire a stupid low number on Saturday to get themselves anywhere close to that. So that's the part that I just don't enjoy about tournaments that go so low. You know, like anywhere in the 12 to 15 range is good, but like that 9 to 12 range, if a guy goes out and fires 66 on Saturday or Sunday, he's all of a sudden in it versus oh yeah, some of the guys would have needed like 63-63 to even be in the top five on on Saturday, Sunday at TPC River Highlands.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely that side to it from a viewership standpoint, but I actually have heard the opposite theory from some of the players where like courses like TPC River Highlands, it allows you if you're playing very, very good to separate yourself from the field. So I think that some players kind of like that idea if they – you know, if I play way better than you one day and I'm only three shots ahead of you, that's ki- that kind of sucks. You know what I mean? And it's not saying that you played like, you probably didn't play terrible if it's only three shots. But the the gap in what, in playing well versus not playing well is just widened on a course like that. So you have a dude that shoots 23 24 under whatever through four days he's playing really good golf and in order for you to contend with that you have to do the same thing like I don't know I mean he won by three shots and he bogeyed three of the last five holes so he uh played his ass off I mean he shot what 62 63 64 and then I did he finish with 68 I want to say Yeah. He was
1: two under, so it was a par
0: 70, so 68. Uh, But realistically, when you have a course that's quote unquote easy, um, it it, it allows the players to separate themselves by playing really good golf. Because if a course is easy and you're not playing great, you can still fire a couple under, but you're not going to shoot eight, nine under, you know? So I guess it, for me personally, it's more of my expectation going into the tournament. Like, we're going to watch the John Deere classic here in the next week or two. And that place is notorious for super low scores, but I know that. So I expect that. And I think that's fun. And I think a good variety of that on tour where not every course is super tough and not every course is super easy. You know, they play some tougher weeks, they play some easier weeks and, and there is certain types of players that play, very good on easy courses and not so great on like tougher courses. And then there's players that actually are more built for like tough golf, but don't really necessarily go super low on the easy courses. So I I don't know. I mean, it's a good variety for me and I really didn't mind it. I mean, there was Denny McCarthy. We could talk about that real quick. I honestly thought he was going to win after day one, um, but he lipped out, his approach on 18 on Thursday for 59, which would have been the greatest 59 in the history of golf. Uh, nobody's ever hold out before for, f- um, at least that I can remember on the PGA tour. Cause Jim Furyk shot 58 here uh, like seven, eight years ago. I want to say people forget how fucking good that dude was just solid. But that that's the kind of thing is like TPC river Highlands is a place that Jim Fear can play well at. And that dude was hitting it like 270, 280 in his heyday. So, I mean, there, there's definitely a factor of distance there. But overall, I, I really didn't have a problem with the course being easy. It's just like, well, if it's that easy, then make more birdies, you know, keep up with the leader. But uh, Keegan had a little bit of a breakdown on the uh, back nine. I mean, going into after the 13th hole, he had it was either the 12th or the 13th. He had made five birdies and no bogeys on the day. Like he was absolutely cruising. And then he hits a tee shot in the water on a par five. And that was kind of his first loose shot of the day. And all of a sudden he went from like really feeling like he was going to walk away with the thing, you know, not even a second thought to bogeying three of the next four holes, I want to say, and three of the next five, um, because then he parred third, parred, parred 17, part 18. Um, but he definitely had like some loose shots in there uh, where he just, and, and it's crazy how your mindset changes. Like you, you're, and we've all been there. I think if you play enough golf where you feel pretty comfortable with the round, like you're feeling good about your game, you're thinking, you're thinking birdies, not bogeys. You know what I mean? Like it, there's that mindset. And then, I mean, obviously none of us, nobody listening here has ever played on the PJ Tour on a Sunday. But uh, you go from this positive mindset and then you hit one really bad, te- not really bad tee shot. I mean, the water was only like 10 yards off the fairway. So it was just a mistake. But then all of a sudden your mindset completely changes where you're playing like this defensive golf where you're not making aggressive swings and you're miss hitting stuff. And it was just crazy to see Keegan uh, make like that really sharp turn on the back nine. But luckily he had such a big lead that he could afford to make a couple of bogeys. It just probably wasn't quite as easy, um, as he could have made it, uh, which he did set himself up for the first three days. But if Cantlay would have birdied, Cantlay did not birdie the ball or he did birdie the drivable par four, but then he had another really good look. I think on 17, he had like six feet missed it and then bogeyed 18. So really any sort of pressure that could have been put on Keegan was kind of alleviated down the stretch because no no other guy really stepped up so uh, overall great week for Keegan that little little uh, slip up on the back nine I'm sure uh, he'll get better from you know and kind of look back at what went wrong but at the same time it's really nice when you can win a tournament and still learn from it. You know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of good times when you're learning from something, you're losing it up. You're shooting 40 on the back nine on Sunday and fucking pissed off about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one thing I'll flip my take on, uh, as far as TPC river highlands goes, I think if the tournament was more intense towards the end, I think I would be, I wouldn't have this, uh, pretty, you know, time dependent, like reactionary take, Uh, if like there was like four guys all trying to make birdies coming down the last few holes and close to each other, I think it would have been a little bit more intense, obviously. And that's what we root for. You know, we never root, we root against a few players. Uh, we root for a lot of players, but we root for a good golf tournament. And I think that's what it kind of unfortunately didn't turn into because Keegan ran away with it. But Keegan's one of the few guys that I'm like, okay, I'm glad he ran away with it. And TBC River Highlands, even though it was quote unquote easy for these guys, I love the, drivable four on one of the finishing holes like drivable fours and we'll get into it with our round at tpc colorado because there was a few of those they're electric drivable fours are with a penal if you miss it's super penal those are like some of the best holes in golf and on the pga tour they make for electricity every single time you know and like scotty scheffler as much as i don't want to talk about him i was watching him climb the leaderboard on sunday again i think it's like 20 straight events he's been in the top 12 or something just absolutely absurd betting him top 10 is like a is like a better than a 50 50 bet at this point which is nuts.
0: if, if it's plus odds you feel pretty good about getting it
1: yeah and he he made Eagle on the drivable four. he hit it to like 10 feet and then made it. So uh, I do love a drivable four coming down the stretch and also a, a par five coming down the stretch as well to make it fun. But I think, you know, shout out to Keegan. And I think the other cool part is we saw, you know, he was on Instagram from the week of the major uh, the U S open. Cause he missed the cut, like playing mini golf with his kids on Saturday and Sunday which was awesome. And then it like turned into, you know, they were posting about him before he won, obviously at TPC river highlands. And then he goes, you know, goes and plays putt putt with his kids and hangs out and enjoys the weekend. And then turns around and goes 23 under, you know, sh- shoots a couple of 63s at uh TPC river highlands and wins the travelers, which was an elevated event. And one last shout out to Ricky Fowler for the little 60, uh, his lowest round of his career. I know you said he's not going to win again, but I I might have to disagree with that take as of this moment.
0: Yeah. I I think he could win a lower level tour event. I don't think he's ever going to come as close to a major as he did at this U.S. Open. Um, It's one of those things in my mind for him where the longer he goes without doing it, the more unlikely I feel like he's going to, he is to do it. And I'm sure he kind of feels that way too. You know, it's, not out of his hands, but a lot of things got to line up for you in order to win. And I think he can still win, you know, probably an opposite field event or two, like the Puerto Rico. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I think he's going to get,
1: I was going to say you're a hater.
0: No, I think he's going to get into all the majors now. So he won't be playing in those opposite field events, but uh, I think he's capable of winning. I wouldn't be surprised to see him win at the rocket mortgage this weekend. Um, He's not on my betting card, so that would be fitting, but uh i verbal is binding so i just said it and uh that is my non uh card pick for this week but uh, yeah real real quick uh scotty scheffler so he's made as much money on tour as keegan bradley has, and keegan bradley's been out here
1: he was winning in 2011
0: yeah he's been out on tour 11 12 years longer than than scotty scheffler than Scoot Scheffler. So uh unbelievable shit. I mean, he has 40 career top tens in uh 87 events. So almost 50% of the time he tees it up in a PJ tour event, he's finishing in the top 10, which is obscene. Uh he only well he does have two wins this year, one second place, uh four third places. So he's been in the top three coming down the stretch of a tournament seven times in uh how many events in eighteen events this year so that's pretty close to half where he's literally in the top three uh, the dude is just a machine from T to green like I, let me just check his uh putting stats real quick
1: well dude oh, he's just he's just a cockroach dude. That's what he is. He just will not go away. And Bro, even if he doesn't he's, win he's, events, he shoots the, low, the lowest round on Sunday every week and finds himself in the top five.
0: He is first in strokes gained total, first in strokes gained off the tee, first in strokes gained approach, and 130th in strokes gained putting.
1: That is that obscene.
0: Is absolutely unbelievable. Um, he's first on tour in greens and regulation. Uh, 74%. I will give a quick shout out to our boy Vince Indio who we're going to have on pretty soon. He's hitting 78% of greens right now on the Corn Ferry Tour and he's not having a great season but that just goes to show you like dude can strike his ball. I don't know if the Corn Fairy Tour courses are quite as challenging as you know week in week out but still Scotty Scheffler is basically hitting three of out of every four greens um, which translate to about what is that 14 greens around 13 and a half to 14 greens around. So yeah, it's just absolute blasphemy that he's 130th and putting and he's still having this kind of season. That just goes to show you like Keegan Bradley's done that in the past where he's been a, re- he's had a really good tee to green stats and then been terrible on the greens. And he does not like have a good season when he's terrible on the greens, but this dude somehow is having an unbelievable season. He would be having a tiger, like 2000 type of year if he could be in the top you know even 50 of putting he doesn't need to be a, a great putter he just needs to to make the seven eight footers but you can literally set your clock to it every Sunday this dude's going to be charging up the leaderboard uh what did he make he, he was four under and like three holes in the middle of the back nine he went eagle birdie birdie like he's just like you said he's a cockroach he just does not die
1: no, he will not go down. Um, speaking of corn fairy tour courses being easier, tougher. Let's get into our round um, from Monday. But first, I want to tell you guys about our friends at the best burritos in the world. AZ people. If you are in the state of Arizona, whether you're visiting or you live there, head up Burrito Express. They have amazing burritos. The uh, Joe, the breakfast burrito is my favorite because they put ham, they put uh, sauce or ham and bacon in it, along with egg, along with potatoes. I get no cheese because I'm a no no dairy guy. But Burrito Express has the best burritos in the world. That I I I would literally go to Arizona, and the only place I get breakfast burritos is Burrito Express. They're a super awesome local business that promote um, supports and promotes a lot of athletes from Arizona State. And uh, it, it's it's awesome to see uh, a local company like that grow. You want to follow them on Twitter at Burrito Exp. So B-U-R-R-I-T-O-E-X-P on Twitter. Uh, they're a fun follow on Twitter and on uh, TikTok. They I think they were out playing Pebble Beach or something the other day. So really cool dudes. Got to meet them down at our Keeping It One Hundred tourney in uh, Mesa. Good group of dudes making the best burritos in the world. So make sure you check out all the multiple AZ locations, Tempe location, uh, right by Arizona state, absolute fire burritos, best burritos in the world over at burrito Express, Make sure to check them out. If you're in the great state of Arizona, I also want to tell you guys about manscaped. I did a little manscaping yesterday. Um, it was quite the experience. Uh, my new lawnmower 4.0 replacement blade came in, and which is awesome. That's one of the coolest things about Manscaped is, you know, you can put your stuff on auto order, so I, I forget to order new blades, and it's not fun when you don't have a brand new blade all the time, or at least a semi-sharp blade. Um, but I get my ears trimmed up, I get my face trimmed up with my face lawnmower, and then I've got the, the bottom shelf lawnmower for all the rest of the areas that keep me trimmed up. It's hot, it's finally getting hot here where we live in Colorado. Uh, yesterday was it was a scorcher, if you will. So, and when you're out playing golf, my golf tan is wretched. After these last five or six days of playing plenty of golf, my upper arms are extremely light, and my the rest of my arms look tan. So, when I'm wearing a polo, you know, pins and aces polo looks good. But make sure to check out Manscaped.com, and there's so many different options for you know, shaving your face, shaving, trimming your ears, trimming your nose with the weed whacker. Um, I still need to start doing that more often because I'm getting these like terrible nose hairs. I got to trim my mustache a little bit. Uh, I'm going to let the beard grow for a bit, but as far as just keeping everything neat and tidy, manscaped is the way to go. You want to use that promo code DNVR to save you 20% off. And then, like I said, if you get the, uh, every, every month I get, you know, I, sometimes I switch it up and get a different, uh, package but usually i get the ball deodorant and a little thing of that which i carry with me in my golf bag um the crop mop and then i get a replacement blade so i'm always always shaving with a fresh clean blade 4.0 is the best product i've ever used make sure to check out manscaped use that promo code dnvr it's smooth sack summer so make sure to keep that sack looking smooth on the golf course and in your life that's and you do that with the four point lawnmower 4.0 over at Manscaped waterproof trimmer. It's incredible, and you get 20% off with the code DNVR. All right, let's talk about our round at TPC Colorado. You want to start? How hard was the course, do you think?
0: Um, it's definitely very challenging. Uh, I See, well, the funny thing is, is the guys on the Corn Ferry Tour do go pretty darn low there. But I think the most challenging part is the greens. Like, between you and I, we each probably had, I mean, so your round was very up and down. Uh, you hit some wonky tee shots. And by wonky, I mean 80 yards right of your target.
1: Yep, uh, driver failed me on, I like had like three 12 really good holes and six really not really good holes i shouldn't say that i didn't make any birdies but like holes where i just looked like i belonged out there and then six (laughs) holes where i looked like i didn't belong and real quick before we get too into it i want to give a shout out to colorado golf association uh for having us out there they do these member play days if you're in the state of colorado getting a cga membership is the best thing you can do coloradogolf.org Use the code DNVR. You're getting $5 off your product. Um, it gets you a membership, gets you a handicap, so you can play in tournaments, and then allows you to play in these member play days at courses that you normally wouldn't get to play. So uh, also the uh, two-man net series. Um, you can play in some net championships with you and a buddy. They they have great courses, and they have just a lot of opportunities to play some great golf in Colorado. So make sure to check that out. ColoradoGolf.org. Go on. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, that it was awesome that they had us out and it's just very cool what they do with uh, private clubs to allow the general public to be able to sign up and play places like that that you normally wouldn't get to. And you got a sick pins and aces towel. Like I, we didn't even know that they were doing that, but those towels are badass. Like I was, I was pretty stoked. I got it on my bag right now. Um, but yeah, overall. I would say the toughest part for me was on the greens because I actually struck the ball very well. Tee to green. I would say, uh, I made one double bogey, which was eight, number eight, that par three, which was just a fucking joke. Uh, I landed it like on the right fringe. And for those of you who have never been out there or seen it, um, it's it, eight is a par three. That's not very long. It heads d- directly West kind of into the, uh, the lake area on the back side of the, uh, on the west side of the property. Um, but the green is about 15 paces wide. And there's just, it's water surrounding. All, there's really no bailout. So you got to hit a shot. Well, we were, we were playing it from the, with the tee back or with the uh, pin in the back. It was like 188 to the flag. Uh, so it was. Not It's not a super long hole. I think it's like 170 middle, 180 middle. But I feel like 188 is just long enough to the point where you uh, need to hit something that's not a short iron. And to be that precise, to get it within like a 15-yard window from that long, like I I hit a good six iron because it was a hair into the wind. And it fell just far enough right, landed on the fringe, kicked into the hazard, and then I fucking... I I did have a little freak out where I was just jamming my club in the ground. Like, I think I almost hurt my left shoulder, like fucking just hacking my club into the ground. Like it was a spear or a a shovel basically. But um, other than that, that was really the only bad hole that I had, I would say. And I didn't even hit a bad shot. So for me, it was mostly on the greens. I three putted three times, excuse me. Um, I had three putted twice in the first five holes and I was one over. So if that kind of gives you an idea as to uh, the the ball striking tee to green, it was pretty solid for the most part. But the other thing that's kind of like deceiving is the greens out there are so big that sure, I can say I three putted, but like I was 50, 60 feet away. So, you know, it's not, it was not like I was three putting from 15 feet by any means. I was hitting the greens But that's the other thing is I guess the approach shots are just so long that, you know, your proximity to the hole is not a good shot. Sometimes it's 40, 50 feet away. So then you just kind of have no choice but to either two putt it or make a bogey. Like, you know, you're not like, oh, I got to hit it closer. It's like, well, when you have 230 in on a par four, uh, there's really no, you know, you're not stuffing it. Like, I don't care what level you're at, but that's where where distance really comes into play there. I kind of just worked my way back from the, from the green all the way back to the tee box, but uh, driving distance out there is key because then you're giving yourself shorter approaches, you know, which is then going to give you a better average proximity and, you know, so on. So for me being a little bit of a shorter player, average player off the tee, um, it definitely has like some of its disadvantages out there.
1: Yeah, I couldn't make anything. Um, shout out to our boy Serbo, who we played with. He he had a, a pretty good day overall, but in the match play realm of it, he had so many birdies. Talking about the drivable fours, he he hit like I think he drove the green on almost every drivable part four. I missed a few, I missed so many putts like three to four feet past, which was I could not get the speed of the greens down all day. I made zero birdies, which is pretty terrible for 18 holes considering like the first hole I had 12 to 15 feet. The second hole par, par three, long par three, I had like 10 feet. Uh, I had quite a few opportunities to get up and down for birdie from just off the green. And I could not, I could not get the speed of the greens down to save my life. Uh, And then there was definitely, you know, five to six holes where driver, I hit driver off the map and there is some, some serious, rough and they were growing it up you know the the ascendant corn Ferry tour event is there july 10th through 16th so not that far away and they were definitely getting it ready for that because one of the things that i was most impressed with along with i wasn't impressed with the the length of the rough and the the native areas off the right side of most fairways which i ended up being in a few yeah. times um but i was really impressed with the around the greens is it's just So much different than a normal golf course. Like some of the holes with the runoffs, I want to say, uh, number 13, the par five, no 15, the one that's right along the water. I mean, there, there's a runoff area of about 30 to 40 yards straight downhill that if you are looking at it and you play just regular public golf, you know, you're not a member at a really nice country club, you would think that that's the green that's how well maintained and, and tight it is around the greens. And so every hole that I made a par, I don't think I got up and down one time. Uh, and, or I, you know, like I literally don't think I got up and down. If I missed the green for par once every par I made, I hit the green. Yeah. Uh, and, and I three putted like twice, but it was just a disaster around the greens for me. And once I started missing greens, I had like two different trains of, you know, the first five holes I all made par and then I start getting on a bogey train and then I get back to a par train starting the back nine. And then I get back to a bogey train and finish like double, triple, like it just not good at all. Um, cause I hit it in some wonky spots and driver was just a real, you know, up and down day for me, but yeah, the, around the greens, I was just so impressed with, and you have to clip it perfectly when you're chipping and then, you know, finding the finding the right area to land it on it's just a different world that you know the courses that pros are used to playing versus just your average everyday public track
0: oh for sure um it you were so unfamiliar with it you called it the curtain instead of the apron
1: yeah i was fucking (laughs) (laughs) since the
0: curtain is mowed so tight i'm like what are you talking about the curtain completely
1: was like, fucking what a disaster i was completely sober too that's the worst <laughs> part of this entire thing i, like, I called tired. it the curtain for like six holes <laughs> i
0: was like yes the curtain is very tightly mode um but yes it is so tightly mode around the greens that like but see that's where i was trying to help you uh a little bit and you weren't really listening um is when it's that closely mowed like you have to get more resourceful and you have to think about different clubs like uh you're just so prone to whipping out your your highest lofted uh wedge and you know trying to toss something up there because we did play king's deer friday and we can get into that but just to like almost not similar type feels but there's some some feeling of similarity between the two courses, in my opinion, with the elevation change, the undulation, the bunkering, things like that. But when you're on a course where around the greens, it is just so tight, uh, it, tightly mown is what I mean. Um, you have to think about using the putter in some spots. You have to think about going with lower lofts and uh, you you can't just try to toss everything up in the air like what was that the par five fourth you had was it is that the fifth hole sixth hole was that I, I don't remember um that first par five or second part <laughs> good god the first hole is a par five but it was that second par five like the fifth hole or sixth fifth sixth hole,
1: sixth hole yeah because I made five pars going into that hole
0: oh okay um yeah you had a uh shot about you were off the green about 10 yards left in the mode area. And I will give you not credit, but I will give you some, some slack because you were going about 15 feet uphill and you didn't think you were going to be able to get your putter that high up there, but, or hit it that hard to get it up there, but there was just no way you were going to land the ball on the green and still, you know, keep it short of the hole. Like I think, you hit a really good pitch shot. You clipped it really nicely and it still went 20 feet by. So there's just holes out there and there's certain, you know, greens and certain pin locations where you're not going to chip it close. Like that drivable par four or near drivable, the next one, um, what was that? Seven, six,
1: seven, I think.
0: No, you... par
1: five is six.
0: No, that was five. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to get this correct in my mind. Cause then six was the drivable or close to drivable par four. Seven was the next par four. Eight was the par three. Yes. So I'm correct. Cause then that part dogleg, right. Part four was nine. Um, So the sixth hole, I had like 20 yards to the flag off the tee. I hit it. I am getting longer. I'm working on rotating better um, and really just swinging harder I know that's swinging more efficiently, but also swinging harder, I guess is what I'm, what I've been trying to do. Um, But basically I had like 20 yards in and from where I was there, I had a huge mound in front of me. um, And the green, the the pin was relatively short-sighted. Like I was, I did not have a lot of green to work with, but I kind of just had to take my medicine because I was like, if I try to get cute with this and, you know, get it close, it could come right back to me. And then, you know, what's the point? I'd rather have 15, 20 feet for birdie. And I burn the edge on that putt. Oh, I was pissed. Um, I, I did hit a few very good putts that didn't go in and it was just one of those days. But then on, uh, the longest part three on the course, I hit three wood and then make a 30 footer for birdie. So I got down in two from 275 yards, I want to say. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is I, I have a wedge in my hand and I make par and then I hit three wouldn't make birdie so it was just one of those kinds of days. Um, should we talk about the the longest hole we've ever played? I mean I've played it before but it, that was your first time playing it so give give me an impression of what you thought of the 773
1: yarder, dude. It was a monster. I mean if you check out our Instagram, it's going up today. But if you check out our Instagram and TikTok, we did a uh, play a hole with us and it. I don't know if it's humanely possible for anyone to hit it in two from those, from the plates. Kyle I, I, you think so? Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't like, I didn't, I hit a pretty good drive, hit it out there probably 320, 325. And I hit a, I stepped on my five wood and it barely made it to the bunkers that are like 200 yards away. <laughs> Yeah. And and neither of those shots were hit bad. Like I'd fully admit, I have no problem admitting when I hit a go- bad golf shot. I hit plenty of them that day. Um but the overall just layout of the hole is awesome. It's a it's an open teeing area. But I mean having 465 in, basically a borderline short par five in after hitting a 320-yard drive was it was it was cool. It was a fun hole to play. I made par on it, so I'm super happy about that because I made I made bogey on that 370 yard drivable four because I hit the ball in the bunker and then decided to hit one 10 yards over the green. But the just the aesthetic of the hole is great. There's it's kind of tough because I guess if you know I guess there are there is obviously way longer hitters out there than me. Um, but even if you hit a good driver in three wood, you're still probably looking at you know from a pro- professional's perspective at 150 yard shot in 140 yard shot um if you're you know and you have to and you have to place that second shot i got to step on mine because i basically had you know 465 in and about 270 ish to the bunker so i could step on five wood and i hit it just in the rough short of the bunker thank god i didn't hit it in that bunker else i would have been done i would have been so aggravated like oh cool i still have a six iron in from a bunker yeah Um, that,
0: that bunker is it's got about a 20 foot lip on it like that's that's the equivalent of like Hell's Bunker over at St. Andrews. If you get in there from 200 plus, I feel like you're pretty well fucked. But that is the thing is we when we went to the Corn Ferry event, uh, was that last summer or two summers ago? Two?
1: Two summers ago.
0: Yeah, when we went up there two summers ago, on Sunday they were playing it from like 660. And that's still, don't get me wrong, very long hole. But they these guys, like I actually think – it depends on – for, uh, like, my type of distance, for where, how long I hit it, I hit it to the fucking family tees. Like, I did not hit a great drive. I think I hit like, 270, um, kind of high and right a little bit. But uh, I did not hit a good drive. And really, like, the cross bunkers for me from that back tee did not come into play. So I actually think it's a better hole for – longer players like from a little bit shorter because then you actually have to hit a very precise layup you know with like a hybrid or whatever but for me I had fucking 495 in I beat on a three wood or yeah I think 500 yards maybe I I beat on three wood and I still had like 240 in so and I also think it was relatively soft like once you firm that place out it it definitely plays a little bit shorter but uh those cross bunkers really I think make it tough and from that distance really no like you said dude you hit two good shots and did not get to the bunkers so and you're not by any means a short player um so I think if if those bunkers were in play it would bring more strategy into it as opposed to just rip driver rip three would you know hit six iron five iron whatever and um But overall, yeah, it's a, it it is a crazy hole. And it it is one of those par fives where a par like you very rarely play a par five and you are happy walking out of there with five, but that is like, that is the most par five type of par five I've ever played. Like uh, it is a great challenging par five where I honestly would like to see if they played the corn fairy from the back tee there every day, I bet Oh, I, I bet it would be averaging over par.
1: <clears throat> oh yeah, there's no way that just even professionals like when you have, that's like a par four being like four ninety or five hundred yards, where you're you're still looking at a good drive is a one eighty plus, which you know this is two good shots, and you're still looking at around one seventy to two hundred yards for ninety percent of players. The real long guys will probably have you know wedge in. Um, but overall yeah, just a great golf hole. And uh, really, you know, other than the the bunkers that I hit it in, I think overall just a good design from a standpoint of there's some risk reward holes. There's a lot of like well placed bunkers that, that are just right in that 290 to 300 yard area. I mean, I mentioned it on the very first hole we played. Uh, you know I blew one left and I hit it so far left I was on the the 13th or 15th hole, which is fine. I just ended up laying up, anyways. I, which I hate laying up on par fives, but the the landing area for ninety percent of players and professional players was right in between two bunkers that are twenty five paces from each other, thirty maybe. Yeah. So, just really well placed bunkers and a lot of opportunity. Yeah, the par threes were really tough, and I think that that gives you know if they play if if they play it back all the days, which they don't, that gives the course some teeth for sure. You know, like everybody was freaking out about the you know, the 290 yard par three at the U S open. Well take off 15 yards. And that was like two or three of the par threes at TPC, Colorado, just long irons that you got to hit really well. Um, but overall, yeah, just a good layout and great, great bunker placement. And I'm still just enthralled with the curtain, if you will, (laughs) the, uh, the, the apron of, You know, just a it, it was just a great layout and and super well maintained the greens. I still I could probably put play another eighteen holes and maybe we'll get the speed semi dialed in, but overall just a great track and uh, it was awesome for you know it's awesome that the CGA does member play days and lets people you know just sign up and play and it was great track and great day. It was nice out. That's what it was it was yeah. finally a di- an afternoon with no rain. It feels like so, we've had dude, haven't had one of those in forever.
0: I. About the ninth hole, it hit me like a ton of bricks. How high, hot and humid it was! Like, I started dragging ass. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but real quick, I, I I still think no matter what, like, and we actually had a dude on our Twitter um, say that we could come play his 8,400 yard track over at Rain Dance National. So maybe later this summer we can take him up on that because we I feel like we got to get out there. Um, I'm just gonna take all my short irons out of the bag and just basically carry around a hybrid, a three wood, and a driver, and maybe a few wedges for around the green. Um, because there's no chance I'm gonna have any sort of short iron approach shot. But having said that, I still think the some of the best holes out at TPC Colorado or are, are the shorter holes. Like uh the third hole, the par four, for instance, where you actually drove it over the green. Um that's a great risk reward hole. Like you have to hit a very good drive, but once you do, it's it's a a very birdieable hole. But if you hit it left, you're in the water. If you hit it right, you're in a fairway bunker. Um, and then uh, 16, the par three, is just an amazing hole. Uh, it plays, uh, I think, as long as about 140 145 from the very back tee, uh, right in front of the clubhouse, and it is just such a good. Um, strategy hole because of like a 140 yard shot. That's not the challenging part of it. The green being in the proper area of the green and, and not getting overly aggressive because I think that's, that's another like mental thing um, with golf is when you're playing a, a a long par three, you immediately, you know, are kind of uh, playing defensive in a good way. Like for your own, you know, for your own game, like maybe you make par, maybe you make bogey, but you get out of there and you're, you're not overly aggressive, but then you step up to like a 140 yard hole and you're like, shit, I should be able to not necessarily always make two, but this is a birdieable hole. Like this is a short hole. I could make birdie here. So then you get overly aggressive and then that turns into like big numbers. So it's just a, a, it's kind of mental warfare in a way, because you go from 140 yard par three to two 500 yard plus par fours to finish up. Uh, so you, you know, you flip a wedge in from a buck 40 or, you know, whatever. And then the next two holes, you've got long iron to, you know, woods into the green on your second shot. So uh, overall, very good track. I love the the short gettable holes um, and not just because I'm a shorter player. Like I think it's just fun, you know, it brings in a variety of different scores And it's not just a a grind the entire time, you know, where you're just like trying to make par on every single hole. Uh, There's definitely some like birdieable holes out there, but I had a blast. Uh, Really good track. I think once it gets a little bit older, um, it'll get a little bit more character to it. Because right now, uh, for any of those of you who have ever played uh, like a brand new course and this course, I wouldn't call brand new it? like six years old, five years old, but Um, it still has like a firmness to it, like where everything is just really like hard. And you can just feel it in the ground. And I I think the greens will mature a little bit just as it as it gets older, and um some areas around the green will I think soften up just a hair because right now everything is just like hitting on granite. So I kind of think that's what they're going for, but at the same time, it'll kind of like the, the golf course will grow into the property a little bit more and it'll just feel like a more natural setting as opposed to, you know, them just throwing up this golf course in the middle of this, this farmland. But I, I also, I got to mention the views, the views are unbelievable. Like the entire Western side of the course is just mountain views and the lakes right there. Like unbelievable. The houses on that course, um, towards the middle of the, the golf course are just unreal. So like I, I think overall, it's just a very enjoyable experience to go out and play. Even though it's, it it feels pretty grueling when you when like when you're over when you're done with it, it's a grind.
1: Yeah, you, you it does take some strategy to play it, but it also takes a, a good amount of length off the tee box and to then it it strategy well, sure. as well to play. Yeah, to play yeah. it well for sure. Yeah. All right, absolutely. let's get into a little uh, live PGA Tour merger update. Um, so this is from perfect putt and it's basically, so this is a a thing that I subscribe to. It's, it's kind of fun little newsletters, but I won't get too deep into the weeds on all of this stuff, but it goes into all the different, um, you know, what financial interests certain tours have into golf. So for instance, um, this is the proposed framework agreement between Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, the PGA tour, DP world tour and live golf. That would see the public investment fund have direct and indirect influence across 20 professional tours and over $1 billion a year in prize money. So the PGA Tour has financial interest and in partnership in six tours with an, a total of 415 million season prize money. That's DP World Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour Canada, PGA Tour Latino America, PGA Tour Champions, and then the TGL, um, you know, tomorrow golf league that uh, tiger and them all own and pga tour owns 18 percent of that uh, the dp world tour has financial interest in nine tours worldwide with 200 million in prize money challenge tour legends tour japan golf tour japan challenge tour alps tour the pro golf tour nordic golf league clutch pro tour and the tartan pro tour um, so all these different tours with different prize money and now the public investment fund as of now Cur- or you know before this merger has uh, financial interest in four tours that which is live the Asian tour the Asian development tour and the, the Mina tour um, and the Mina tour is purses around 75,000 per event um, but it's really crazy to see like in a graph so this article has a graph of all the different uh, prize money and the PGA tour actually has 415 million of prize money over the year over a calendar year and the live tour has 405. But if you think about it, the live tours, 13 events and the PGA tour is an entire season of events, basically every week.
0: Yeah. That, that money is absolutely insane. And uh, just to, yeah, like have that financial boost in all, in all markets um, is obviously going to be big. And I I don't know. I mean, what do you, do you think there's really going to be any, any fallout? It's, it's forever evolving because we're learning new things every week about, you know, what the, what the setup is going to be for the future. But what do you think this kind of means, you know, for, for, for tours worldwide?
1: Well, and so it goes on to say, so there's another part of this merger article that's going to come out uh, either this Monday or, or next Monday. Um, and he has a sports attorney, John Nucci, in the mix to provide the legal analysis on it. But basically, the Public Investment Fund is going to cover all of these tours. And it says that one could argue, quote, one could argue that little changes in the world of professional golf tours with the proposed framework agreement. And the PGA Tour currently has direct influence or indirect influence on 16 professional tours worldwide worldwide. And it won't be, you know, the PGA tour won't be affected by this framework, but it just like, it gets into the official world golf ranking by tour and how many players are on it, you know, from all the way from the Alps tour, there's three players with official world golf ranking on the Alps tour and then 400 up to 404 on the PGA tour. So I think overall it's not going to affect much as far as each tours are ran. I just think that it's going to give more. It's obviously now that it's owned by all the same company, uh, much like Succession, you know, kind of going into this whole being bought by Gojo, et cetera. Like it's, it's still going to be the same company. It's still going to be Waystar Royko, <laughs> you know, like PGA Tour is still Waystar Royko oh, wow. ran, but, you know, the money is going to be coming from a different place. So hopefully it means more, more money for PGA Tour events, even, and maybe we'll keep some people to stay. I think there's enough players on both tours now to make each of them interesting. You could definitely build up the lower level live tour players since there are less in the, in the field and there's no cuts and you're playing, you know, shotguns and for three days. But I, I do think that overall the player level on both tours is pretty equal as far as the top end goes. Uh, and we've seen that in the major championships this past year, but I think it's really concerning and I'm, and I'm really curious to get Vince India's take on it as far as figuring out what, it looks like for, um, you know, Corn Fairy Tour players and all these other players, all these other tours, maybe, you know, the Alps Tour and, and the littler tours get bigger payouts and then get more people into it. And, and it creates a bigger, bigger pool of talent, which just creates more competition, which overall for the viewer creates better golf.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> we've seen the level of golf in the last 10 years just skyrocket to where every field is so deep in professional golf. And, and there's guys out on, you know, the Alps tour or whatever that could probably go out and win on the DP world tour next week, you know, if they played well. So there's just so much depth in golf now and adding more money is only going to push, you know, push more kids to want to grow up and do that. Like it, it is kind of crazy to think about, but if you look at the highest paid athletes in the world, two of the top five are golfers. And I know that's tough to get to that point, but like a, a lot of kids grow up wanting to be a football player, wanting to be a, a baseball player, you know, this and that, and that's all well and good. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but if kids actually are seeing like what professional golfers are making, that's just naturally going to push more people towards wanting to play golf and and more kids growing up, wanting to play golf and, and that is really like the biggest thing for golf is getting kids into it early and getting them dedicated from a young age. Um, but yeah, the, the overall depth of professional golf across the world is just going to keep getting better and better. Um, and I'm just going to become more obsolete and obsolete from the already obsolete game that I had. But I would actually think about coming out of retirement to like play on the Alps tour. Just how sick does that sound like you just travel around like Switzerland and Austria all summer and play golf. I'd, that sounds like a vacation. That doesn't sound like a fucking work to me.
1: Let's start a GoFundMe for Mitchell's Alps tour.
0: Hell yeah! I would be so. I would. Vi- I would vlog the whole thing. I would be posting videos. I'd be like, I don't oh, miss the cut. I'm fucking at a chalet eating brie cheese or what, you know, probably some other kind of cheese they got over there. I'm not sure what kind it And like drinking some wine and just like that. I don't know how you take it seriously. Like, is there is there a single dude that like is like living out of their car, like mini tour grinding on the Alps tour? Like they're like setting up a tent at like 10,000 feet on the side of a mountain to uh, so they can play golf that week. Like that just doesn't sound like a, a very mini tour thing. Also, the Tartan Tour, I assume, is in the UK, and I think that would be a, a very fun tour to play on. Also, like if you're playing Scotland, uh, England, places like that, I would, I would definitely be down to play there. That sounds like a blast.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a, it. It would be fun to just like play. You know, I know you played some mini tour stuff, but to really get to see the whole world playing mini tour golf, if that right. was fun to right. uh, like, we'll, you start, like we'll start to go
0: star and you're just just a
1: fucking shitty american golfer (laughs) that's me living living a great life all right before we get out of here let's touch on uh this little debate about abolishing the white stake give me your take on this uh i do think from a standpoint of pace of play which has been you know it's always going to be a discussion in the golf world especially on like junior tournaments and tournaments where kids are walking i think there's nothing worse than a looking for a ball and B going back to the T when you, you know, you obviously always should hit a provisional, but I think it's one of the most disastrous things in, in the sport.
0: Yeah. We may fall a little bit different here because I don't think a ball, I don't think you really can abolish out of bounds, like a white steak. Um Because then you're, you know, you're going to have kids jumping into people's yards. If there's houses on the golf course being like, Oh, I can play from anywhere. I can hit it out of here. Like, you got to have white stakes somewhere. And then also I know it, <clears throat> I know it sounds dumb, um, but from my standpoint of like being a somewhat shorter player that generally keeps it on the hole that I'm playing, like I asked about on course out of bounds at TPC uh, Colorado, and there actually is on course OB on uh, the 13th, which is that really long par five, because they're, they they do not want people to be able to, it's a little bit of a dog leg left, but they don't want people to be able to take it down um, the fifth Number hole to four. the left of them and uh, be able to kind of shorten the hole up or fourth hole, uh, fourth, fifth hole, same shit. Um, but basically, oh, I don't have a problem with OB because I, you know, it's like, uh, it's like when you're in high school and somebody is like, well, our principal sucks. Like, I really hate him. I'm like, I don't even know who the principal is. Like, I never see the principal. Like. If you're not a jackass, you don't you, you know you don't get to meet the principal very often. That's the same with like OB stakes for me. Like I don't generally, and this is not a brag. I just don't hit it. I just don't swing hard enough to fucking hit it that far offline. But I just don't even know where a lot of OB is. Like the only reason I get to see a lot of the golf course that I get to see is because of you when I'm looking for your ball. Um, otherwise, it's it's relatively ho-hum for me it doesn't mean it's I'm going to shoot four under every time it just means that I generally can see my ball from the tee box where I hit it and then I can see it from there where it got you know like it's just one of those things I I really don't have a problem with OB because I don't experience it as much but overall for like for anybody I, I think there has to be you know penalizing shots like if if you take OB out it just we've had this whole debate in professional golf about oh everybody's too long everybody's this and that well hazards are one of the things that guard against people just shit pumping at 400 yards and being able to go find it and hit it again you know so if you really don't want to dial back the ball but you want to make golf harder you got to keep you got to keep out of bounds and play in my opinion
1: yeah and i think maybe where we could find a little chink in this argument is i think it sounds like they're just saying like white stakes versus fences and actual out of bounds. Cause there's some places like Kings deer, for instance, where we played last Friday, there's a lot of places where it's like, it's kind of, I hit a, you know, I hit plenty of balls right that day, especially, but you know, I'm, my, my ball is two feet out of bounds, quote unquote. It's not in anybody's backyard necessarily. And it's in the same playing surface as a golf ball that's two feet to the left. I think that's what they're talking about more versus like if you hit it in somebody's backyard and there's fences around the course, that should be, you know, out of bounds, go back, or you, you know, you can now take the new drop under some local rules that some courses will put into play. But I think it's just frustrating for me being a longer hitter, but a more offline hitter where I see a ball that's you know, and you do the whole like looking thing. If you guys aren't uh, on the YouTube, make sure to check us out. Big Drive Energy YouTube uh, for all our shorts and po- full podcast episodes. But the.
0: Uh, looking thing
1: like the look, just like when you look at a ball and you're I'm standing in the same grass and I can see my ball that's out of bounds, but it's two feet to the right of quote unquote inbounds. I think that's the part that gets frustrating versus like, oh, I hit it in that backyard. Cool. That's definitely not in play.
0: Yeah, I think it just opens up more gray area for like, and they've, it's been a long argument to abolish, or like not abolish it, but uh, get being able to get relief from a divot in the fairway. It just opens up so many things for discussion. Like, what is, you know, what is a, is that just a hole in the fairway? Is that just a low spot or is that a divot? Like, then you're calling the group over, then you're questioning it. It's just, uh, it's just a, you know, another debate and like, people would be like, Oh, this isn't their backyard. No, it is their backyard. You know, it's just like there's rules there for a reason. And I think opening up rules like this, just make it even, you know, it's going to, it's going to take even longer to golf in my opinion. Like if you're playing golf correctly, you think your ball might be out of bounds. You hit another one. That's going to be the quickest way regardless. Like then if, if there's not OB and you're searching for a ball for, three minutes and that turns into five minutes cause you're not really keeping track. Like, I don't know. There's, there's just rules like that that I think are are there for a reason. And I'm not by any means like a teacher's pet type of person. Like I want to follow all the rules strictly, but uh, I, I just see it as like a, another, another thing that could be up for debate on the golf course, which I think is just opens a whole new can of worms.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of golf rules moving forward are just trying to make the game easier for a lot of the people that are just getting into it, which I'm not totally against at all, but overall there are still rules of golf and you have to play by them. So I, I get both sides of the argument. I think it's an interesting argument, but I think abolishing out of bounds in general, or just having a different way to play it is the most helpful way for being moving golf forward and making it a little easier and making it a little quicker to play. So, yeah,
0: no, I agree. I mean, there's, that's the thing, though, is you do you do one thing and it turns into the, the repercussions of changing a rule are never, you know, it's always good intentions. But then it's like, holy shit, why would we open this can of worms? So I think you just got to consider all possibilities when you're, you know, considering a rule change like that. Like, what is what is the worst part? Po- How could somebody bend this rule, this new rule to the umpteenth degree and, you know, go from there like is it ultimately beneficial or is it not? And I, I mean, golf has had pretty much the same rules for hundreds of years for a reason, in my opinion. So I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but if I start swinging it harder and start hitting it a little more crooked, maybe I'll feel a little bit stronger about that whole rule.
1: Yeah. We'll have to revisit this issue. Uh, <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's it.
1: A- That's it for us this week. We appreciate you all tuning in. Make sure to check us out on YouTube at Big Drive Energy. We got all our shorts up there on the TikTok at Big Drive Energy as well. Instagram, Big Drive Energy Pod. I am at Big Drive Spence. He is at Big Drive Mitch. Hopefully that's enough big drives for you for the next week. We appreciate you all tuning in. Enjoy the (laughs) Rocket Mortgage Classic. Real quick, I'll give you guys a quick rundown of our picks. Um, Once again, this is always on IG and Twitter before the tournament goes out. We're currently up like 35 units on the year, so no big deal. Shouts to us. Um, Shout
0: out to you. I've been fucking terrible.
1: Well, really, it's just one, you know, 60 to one winner. Too bad we didn't hit a um, 100 100 to one winner. We would be in a real good spot. But my picks this week are Tony Finau, Chris Kirk, and Troy Merritt, plus 25,000 on Troy Merritt. Mitchell's picks are Ludwig Aberg. Brian Harmon and Bo Hofsler. So make sure you get those picks in. Uh, tune into the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I just like had to bet Tony Finau because if he wins it, I'm going to be so pissed. Uh, in general, that he that I didn't bet him so
0: he, he likes to show up at, at weaker field events so
1: oh man mitchell throwing shade at tony Fee now. <laughs> that's it for us enjoy the week enjoy the rocket mortgage classic we'll talk to you guys next week hopefully with a guest on this also might be my last podcast being a non-dad so uh, a lot of exciting stuff for us coming up in the future make sure you're tuning in every week subscribe like on the youtube uh, leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to and have a great weekend peace, peace.